Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, The Murdered Family. But first, your true crime headlines. A Nevada man who recently confessed to the killing of three teenagers nearly 25 years ago has now recanted his statement to police. 43-year-old Willis Davis was charged with three counts of murder with a deadly weapon and one count of conspiracy to commit murder after authorities said he gave police an unprompted confession earlier this month for the 1996 killings. On Wednesday, Davis told the Las Vegas Review-Journal that his confession was false and that he made it to investigators while he was high on PCP. I was out of my mind, Davis said in a video call and phone interview from the Clark County Detention Center. I really don't even remember what I said. I'm trying to remember what I told police. According to his arrest report, Davis told police that in 1996 he was a teen member of the GBK gang when the three were shot dead in gang violence. It was unclear why he confessed. The two-page arrest report does not say that Davis was impaired when he made the confession to police. Police believe the confession made by Davis was legitimate. North Las Vegas Police Department spokesperson Alex Cuevas said in a statement, quote, All confessions that were given at the time of the detective's interview were both vetted and corroborated based off of intimate knowledge of the crime only a guilty person would know. At this time, there is no further information available to disseminate. This is to help protect the integrity of the case. Davis is accused of killing 18-year-old John Muldrow Jr., 15-year-old Xavier Crockett, and 14-year-old Jason Moore. The parents of a 21-month-old New Hampshire girl who died after ingesting fentanyl have been accused of negligent homicide and other charges, with a prosecutor saying Wednesday that the father of the child stopped to take a cigarette break in the middle of doing CPR on his daughter. Prosecutors said that the couple, quote, acted with complete indifference to the value of their daughter's life at every step of the way, failing to call 911 and disposing of a book that was used as a surface to cut drugs and a child's vest. It was witnesses who saw them at the London Dairy truck stop who eventually called for help. 32-year-old Mark Jeremiah and 29-year-old Shauna Cody both pleaded not guilty. Judge David Ruoff ordered them detained until trial, saying that they were a danger to the community and ordered them not to have contact with their other children, including a baby boy that Cody gave birth to just weeks ago and a nearly five-year-old daughter. According to a police affidavit, a friend who was in the vehicle at the time said Jeremiah had traded an ATV for heroin in Massachusetts. He said that both daughters were in the vehicle while all three adults used heroin, and eventually the three fell asleep at the truck stop. The friend said that when he woke, Jeremiah was yelling, she's dead. The friend said that he had an opioid overdose antidote and that he and Cody attempted to give it to their daughter. He said that the girl's mother 
eventually got out of the vehicle with their other daughter and walked away. A witness said that Jeremiah stopped performing CPR on his child, who was unresponsive, to smoke a cigarette. Jeremiah and Cody claimed that there were no drugs in the vehicle, according to the affidavit. Jeremiah said that he didn't call 911 because he didn't know where his phone was, but police noted his phone was ringing multiple times from his pocket as they spoke to him. Prosecutors said that Cody's record includes a pending theft case, not showing up for a court date, and prior cases of forgery, drunken driving, and endangering the welfare of a child. Jeremiah has pending cases involving stolen firearms. Cody said at the hearing that she has been involved in drug treatment recovery efforts and was preparing to enter a six-month residential substance abuse program. I am working very hard to move forward with my life, Cody said, adding that she wants to be around for her kids. They mean more than anything to me, she said. If I'm in here, I cannot move forward and do the things that I need to do that I have been doing since, um, the incident. In ordering Cody to be detained, Judge Ruoff said that based on his review of the court record, Cody displays, quote, significant sociopathic tendencies and a high level of criminogenic thinking. He also said that her conduct could be described as, quote, depraved. He added, quote, I'm not convinced that whatever she's done since, as she describes the incident, which is actually the death of her own daughter, two months ago is sufficient to satisfy my concerns. Jeremia and Cody have been charged with manslaughter, reckless conduct with a deadly weapon, falsifying physical evidence, receiving stolen property, conspiracy to commit falsifying physical evidence, and endangering the welfare of a child. Jeremia was also charged with three counts of possessing child sex abuse images, showing his daughters asleep and naked. The images were focused on the girl's genitals, according to the affidavit. Lady Gaga's dog walker was shot and hospitalized Wednesday night in Hollywood, and her two French bulldogs, Koji and Gustav, were stolen. The robbery occurred at 9.40 p.m. when a vehicle pulled up next to the dog walker on Sierra Bonita Avenue. The Los Angeles Police Department said that one of the two male suspects who used a semi-automatic handgun took the two bulldogs from the dog walker, shot the victim during the struggle, and fled the scene in a four-door white sedan going northbound toward Hollywood Boulevard. The incident was captured on home surveillance video. The dog walker fell to the pavement with a third dog, Miss Asia, crying out for help. Witnesses called 911, and first responders rushed the victim to the hospital, where he is expected to recover. Sources say the singer is, quote, offering half a million dollars to anyone who has her two dogs, no questions asked. Anyone who has Lady Gaga's dogs can use the email kojiandgustav at gmail.com to retrieve the reward. The investigation is ongoing. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, The Murdered Family. 
But first, a quick break. Here at Murder Minute, we focus on the facts and skip the chit-chat. But sometimes, there's more to the story. Conflicting reports, rumors, theories, unverifiable witness accounts, and more. Now, you can join us live every weekend as we dissect and discuss every detail during our weekly Murder Minute post-mortem, only on Stereo. Stereo is a free live broadcast social platform that enables people to have real conversations in real time. On Stereo, you can ask me questions about the case, tell me your theories, and even suggest stories for future episodes. Murder Minute is excited to offer you this killer new way to interact with us. Join us every week for a live Murder Minute post-mortem on the Stereo app. Download the free Stereo app and select Murder Minute so that you can connect with us whenever we're live. Go to Stereo.com slash Murder Minute to get started. Stay tuned for more details on how to join us on Stereo at the end of today's episode. My cat is my best friend, and these days, we've been spending a lot more time at home together. And as much as I love my fur baby, I'm not fond of the stink bombs she leaves in her litter box. Everything from cleaning to covering up the smell is a constant battle. That's why I use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter is kitty litter reinvented. Unlike traditional litter, Pretty Litter's super light crystals trap odor and release moisture, resulting in dry, low-maintenance litter that doesn't smell. And Pretty Litter is virtually dust-free because it's manufactured with a specialized de-dusting process. Less dust, no fuss. And Pretty Litter arrives safely at my door in a small, lightweight bag that lasts up to a month. Perfect while we're social distancing. Now that I get litter bags auto-shipped, I don't have to deal with last-minute trips to the store. And shipping is free. But above all else, here's why Pretty Litter is this pet parent's hero. It's a health indicator. Pretty Litter monitors my fur baby's health by changing colors when it detects potential underlying issues. You won't find that kind of innovation in conventional litter. Get the world's smartest litter without leaving home by visiting prettylitter.com and use the promo code MURDERMINUTE for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com promo code MURDERMINUTE for 20% off. What are you waiting for? Get it right now at prettylitter.com promo code MURDERMINUTE. Do you get bored with your workouts? If you're looking for a fun workout that keeps you engaged, learning, excited, and motivated, you've got to check out Fight Camp. Fight Camp brings the boxing gym to your living room. Boxing is one of the best ways to get in shape and learn a new skill that could save your life. Fight Camp provides all the gear and top trainers, everything you'll need to get in fighting shape. The best freestanding punching bag on the market, great boxing gloves, quick hand wraps, 
and their unique punch tracking sensors that show you real-time progress and stats on any iOS device. Fight Camp even offers kids gloves so the whole family can get in on the action. Learn from six highly qualified trainers, ranging from a pro MMA fighter and mother of two to a kickboxing world champion. And if you're new to boxing like me, their 12-week starter program teaches you the fundamentals of boxing while you get a great workout every time. Fight Camp has hundreds of different workouts for all fitness levels and skills. And with new ones every week, you'll get hooked. Fight Camp offers financing so that you can pay over 24 months and get your new gym now. And Fight Camp offers a 30-day money-back guarantee. Just go to joinfightcamp.com murder. That's right. Give Fight Camp a try, and within 30 days, if you don't love it, send it back and get a refund. Fight Camp is the new way to work out at home. Make a change and join the community that teaches you the art of boxing while following the most intense workouts that are as quick as 15 minutes. To get free shipping on Fight Camp, just go to joinfightcamp.com murder. That's joinfightcamp.com murder. Welcome back to Murder Minute. On the morning of April 24, 1920, the Wolf family farm in Turtle Lake, North Dakota, fell silent. Jacob Wolf's family was large, prosperous, and well-liked in the small town, and his farm was usually teeming with activity. Wolf was of German descent and had immigrated to the United States from Russia in 1902 in search of opportunity. He settled in North Dakota and in 1905 met and married Beata Bossert, a Russian immigrant girl whose family farmed near Mercer. Jacob and Beata settled in Turtle Lake and raised their six daughters ranging in age from eight months to 12 years old. Maria, Edna, Bertha, Lydia, Martha, and baby Emma. A 13-year-old boy, Jacob Hoffer, a relative of Beata's, was hired as a farmhand to help with the chores. For a couple of days, neighbors hadn't seen any members of the Wolf family. The farm was still. The family's laundry flapped eerily in the wind, still hanging on the clothesline two days after it was dry, and their horses were left harnessed in the yard. Something was wrong. Earlier in the week, Wolf had asked to borrow a tool from John Craft, a farmer who lived nearby. But Wolf never came to pick it up. So Kraft decided to look in on his neighbor. Entering the farmyard, he started towards the house when his attention was attracted by an odd sound of rooting pigs in a nearby barn, wrote the Bismarck Tribune 
the hanging barn door banged gently as Kraft stepped into a lean-to section. A horrified gasp escaped his lips as he halted, frozen by what he saw there. Half covered by dirt and hay were the bodies of his neighbor, Jacob Wolf, and two of Wolf's young daughters, Maria and Edna. The right side of 41-year-old Jacob's body had been blown apart by a shotgun blast. Nine-year-old Maria and eight-year-old Edna had been shot in the head. In the house, a trail of blood led from the kitchen to the cellar. In the basement, Kraft found five more bodies. Jacob's wife, 35-year-old Beata, their daughters, 12-year-old Bertha, 5-year-old Lydia, and 3-year-old Martha, and their hired boy, 13-year-old Jacob Hoffer. They, too, had been killed by shotgun blasts fired at close range. All, except for 3-year-old Martha, who had been bludgeoned to death. Only one member of the Wolf family was spared. Baby Emma. Kraft found the eight-month-old girl scared and hungry, crying in her crib. A few days later, police found the murder weapon, a double-barreled shotgun, laying in a shallow ditch near the farm. But there was little evidence to go on. Theft was ruled out as a possible motive for the murders. Nothing appeared to be missing from the farm, and a small safe containing hundreds of dollars was untouched. Inheritance of the wolf's farm and money passed to baby Emma. On April 28, 1920, the eight caskets containing the wolf family's remains were laid to rest at Turtle Lake Cemetery in an 8-foot by 16-foot mass grave. Their headstone read, The Murdered Family. Thousands of mourners from a distance of 50 miles gathered at the farm of the murdered Jacob Wolf family to show their respect and to personally see the scene of this horrible act, reported a local German publication in the Eureka Rundschau. A deathly stillness reigned at the farmyard, where the stillness was only disturbed by the cackle of the chickens and the lowing of the cattle. Long before the beginning of the funeral service, all the roads to the wolf farm were blocked with almost a hundred cars and people. Women held back painful screams, and men held back with effort the tears as the covers were placed on the coffins and the review was ended. With prayers, the coffins were taken to the cemetery. There were so many cars with mourners that a string of cars extended from the cemetery to the farmhouse. With hollow sounds, the earth fell on the coffins and covered the bodies with eternal peace. They, who several days before, were all alive and happy. 
but one mourner at the funeral seemed to be behaving strangely. 36-year-old Henry Lair, who owned the farm neighboring Jacob Wolf's, opened each casket one by one and looked at the mutilated bodies inside. Lair had also been seen poking around the wolf farm. When he was discovered, he claimed that he'd come to tend to wolf's livestock. Heinrich C. Lair, known as Henry, was also a Russian immigrant. He came to the United States with his parents in 1886, when he was just two years old, and settled with his family in Ashley, North Dakota. In 1904, Henry married Matilda Miller, and the couple had two children, Elizabeth and Edward. But in March of 1911, after just five years of marriage, the couple divorced. Matilda left Henry and took the children with her. Less than a year later, Henry married his second wife, Lydia and in 1916, they moved to Turtle Lake, next door to the Wolf Farm, and the couple went on to have five children together. But Henry Layer and his neighbor didn't get along. Layer would sometimes let his cows out to graze on Wolf's property. The last time he did, Wolf set his dogs on them, seriously injuring one of Layer's cows. After the Wolf family were discovered dead, Henry Lair went to the farm. What he didn't know was that the sheriff was there waiting, in the hopes that the killer might return to the scene of the crime. At around 5.30 a.m., Lair walked around the corner of the Wolf house. Obviously, he thought he was alone and unobserved, wrote the Bismarck Tribune. He walked up to the farm home, glanced through the window into the living room. Then, he started walking toward the barn. Hello there! The sheriff called to him. Lair stopped. I'm the sheriff. Who are you? He asked. Lair, he replied. Henry Lair, I live not far from here. My... Isn't this a terrible thing? The sheriff talked with Lair quite a while. Already a suspicion was forming in his mind. Lair appeared anxious that morning to assist in catching the murderer. He puttered around with the investigators, pointing out obvious things, suggesting sometimes ridiculous procedures. All the while, he never took his right hand out of his pocket. And all the while, the sheriff kept a close eye on him. The sun was just up when Lair made an odd suggestion. Perhaps we should go hunt for eggs in the barn, he said. The others thought this an odd triviality at a time like this, but skeptically agreed. One of the bossards were with Lair on the egg hunting expedition. In the barn, Layer pointed at a clutch of eggs. There are some, he exclaimed. 
Bossard stooped to pick them up. And almost as he did so, Lager shouted, Ho, see what I've found here, under the hay, shotgun shells. He rustled in the hay and came up with a handful of empty cases. The sheriff noted that when Lair came back to the house with the discharged shotgun shells, he no longer held his hand in his pocket. He remembered, too, that others had previously turned the hay where Lair claimed to have spied the shells without finding them. Days passed, and leads dried up. For a time, investigators theorized that there may have been more than one killer. Two $1,000 rewards were offered, equivalent to $13,000 today. But police had nothing. Investigators were everywhere, questioning people, hunting for someone with a motive, checking alibis, wrote the Tribune. The entire countryside was on edge. The killer is a maniac, people whispered, and he's still at large. Farmers sat up through the nights with shotguns, ready to defend their homes if the madman should attempt to strike again. At least two men were arrested and released. One youth found wandering along a lakeshore was seized by members of a posse, and bound hand and foot until the sheriff questioned him and set him free. Always in the mind of the investigators, though, was the shadowy memory of Henry Lair, returning in the pre-dawn mist to peer into the windows of the death house. The story that there had been ill feelings between him and Wolf was confirmed. There was something about trouble over livestock, owned by Lair, which had trespassed onto Wolf's land, and a cow owned by Lair bitten by Wolf's dog. There was the fact that Lair had gossiped with other neighbors about Wolf's private life. The finger pointed more and more at Lair. On May 11, 1920, Henry Lair was arrested. And on May 12th, after several hours of questioning, he confessed. According to Layer's confession, reported the Bismarck Tribune. He went to Wolf's farm about noon on the day of the murders, and heeded words, followed by Wolf's demand that Layer leave the place immediately, were the events leading up to the killing of the eight people. When Lair refused to leave the place, Wolf went into the sitting room, got his double-barreled shotgun, and loaded two shells into the breech. Lair grasped the gun and attempted to wrest it away from Wolf. The struggle took place in the entrance to the kitchen, during which the gun was discharged twice. Lair claimed in his confession that one of these shots killed Mrs. Wolf, and the other the 13-year-old chore boy. By this time, Lair had succeeded in wresting the gun away from Wolf. The murderer darted into the sitting room, 
got a handful of shells from the bureau and hurried back into the kitchen entrance. Wolf was running towards the barn, and Lair fired, the shots striking Wolf in the back. Wolf fell to the ground, and Lair ran up to him and placed the muzzle of the gun against the wounded man's side and fired again, tearing a big hole in Wolf's body. Two of the smaller daughters, frightened at the fighting, and seeing their mother and the boy fall dead in the kitchen, ran into an adjoining room and escaped from the house, fleeing to a cowshed. Arrested by the screams of the girls, Lair rushed into the barn, firing one shot which cut a furrow in one of the girls' head. Lair jammed the gun against the head of the other girl, who was pleading and screaming for mercy and pressed the trigger. The three little girls in the house were screaming. Lair returned to the kitchen and deliberately killed the children, two of them with the shotgun and the other with a hatchet. After seven members of the family and the chore boy had been killed, Lair went to the cowshed, covered the two bodies of the girls with hay, dragged Wolf's body into the cowshed, and covered it with hay. He then went to the kitchen, opened the trapdoor leading to the cellar, and dumped the five bodies into the basement. The only member of the Wolf family that escaped the murderer's fury was the youngest girl. Mr. Kraft found the little tot in her cradle. She was almost famished and in a weakened condition. The little girl is living with her aunt, a sister of her mother, near Turtle Lake. The murderer acknowledged in his confession that the only reason he did not kill the baby was because he did not know she was in the bedroom where she was sleeping during the time the horrible crime was committed. The reason I did not kill the baby was, I believe, because I did not go into the room in which the baby lay, he said. On May 30th, 1920, just two days after his arrest, Heinrich C. Lair pleaded guilty before a district judge and was sentenced to life in prison. At no time during the brief trial or the trip to Bismarck did the Slayer express the slightest concern over the eight persons he murdered exactly three weeks ago, reported the Bismarck Tribune. Given every opportunity to change his plea or repudiate his confession and warned by Judge Newsell of the seriousness of the charge to which he confessed and later pled guilty, Layer stoically refused the services of a lawyer and only asked that they, quote, let it be over with as fast as possible. Exactly 48 hours after his arrest, Henry Layer was admitted to the state penitentiary as prisoner number 3283. The New York Times called it, quote, the most rapid administration of justice in the country. But was it? 
Although he confessed and pleaded guilty, Layer later recanted. He claimed that he had only confessed because he had been given the third degree. The chief of police, Chris Martinson, denied the accusation that Layer had been excessively interrogated. His actions were suspicious the morning the bodies were found and at the funeral, Martinson told the Tribune. We suspected him from the first, and he was constantly under surveillance. We placed him under arrest after more than a week of work on the case, and after questioning him for a few hours, he broke down and confessed to the crime. Henry Lair attempted to appeal his conviction on the grounds that no physical evidence connected him to the murders and that his confession was coerced. But his appeals were denied. Five years later, in 1925, Henry Layer died in prison at age 40, following an operation for appendicitis. According to prison authorities, he was a model prisoner, and he maintained his innocence until his death. Baby Emma was raised by her aunt and uncle on her mother's side, the Hoffer family. She grew up, married, raised a family, and remained in the Turtle Lake area until her death in 2003. She was 84. This has been Murder Minute. For True Crime Anytime, download the Murder Minute app and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Stereo at Murder Minute. Join us this weekend for a Murder Minute postmortem. Hear more about the case, tell us your theories, ask questions, and more. Only on Stereo. Stereo app users can engage with the platform to listen in, seek out topics, and join conversations about issues and ideas that interest you, like comedy, pop culture, lifestyle, sports, and of course, true crime. Stereo can be downloaded for free by Apple and Android users. Once you've downloaded the app, Create your avatar and profile so that you can send me audio messages in real time. Join us as we unpack the case and discuss the story live every weekend. Our weekly Murder Minute postmortem is only on Stereo. Download Stereo free and get started at www.stereo.com murderminute. That's S-T-E-R-E-O dot slash Murder Minute.